just want to point out a little bit about that video. For me, uh, I think Black History Month is incredibly important because as far as I can understand, the God that we serve created people in his image, her image, God's image. And um, when we limit the podium, when we limit the voice, we limit our understanding of God. So I'm going to just step on my soapbox for just a minute, all right? I want to be a part of a church that elevates voices because that's how we discover God. I want it to elevate the educated voice, the blue-collar voice, the uneducated voice, the brown voice, the Hispanic voice, the white voice. I want it to elevate the confused voice, the got-it-figured-out voice, the conservative voice, the liberal voice. We'll have a few Republicans in here, a few Democrats, and even a few people who want to give up on it all, right? Because it's when we see the whole picture of God, all of humanity, that we get our best picture. So I, I love that we're doing this. I hope we're always celebrating voices. I myself am personally... Um, my faith journey began with the black faith tradition. If it wasn't for a guy by the name of Jumpin' Joe Ward, who pay, played for the uh, Rapid City Thrillers, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. I probably wouldn't have the relationships I had. If I didn't get baptized singing an ancient African spiritual in the National American swimming pool with Korean foreign exchange students hanging out their window, wondering what in the heck the silly Americans were doing... I wouldn't be standing here today. So I'm so glad um, to be a part of a church that elevates voices. And I want to say this, and you heard Adam say it last week, and I want to start with this because I think when Jesus shows up there is an important thing that happens. And one is, is we should feel grace and peace. And so whatever your voice is today, whatever your experience is, whoever you are today, grace and peace. If you're a male, grace and peace. If you're a female, grace and peace. If you're figuring it out, grace and peace. If you're straight, if you're gay, grace and peace. If you're black, if you're white, if you're Hispanic, grace and peace. If you're apathetic to life right now, grace and peace. If you have it all figured out, grace and peace. If you're a wreck, grace and peace. If you feel guilty because of the stuff you've been up to, grace and peace. If you feel angry because of the stupid stuff other people are doing in your mind, grace and peace. I always believe that when Jesus shows up to the scene, the first thing we experience is grace and peace. A sense that we belong, a sense that he's here for us, a sense that we're in. And then I think the next thing we experience when we listen to Jesus' teaching is, next slide, is this. Because <laughs> as much as we experience grace and peace with Jesus, I think when we watch the way of Jesus and we read the way of, Je way of Jesus, I think we will find ourselves going, oh no you didn't Jesus. You didn't just go there. You didn't just take me there. Because like I had like grace and peace, right? But now you're like kind of wrecking my world a little bit. And so today's story, you're going to um, see a little bit of that and we're going to walk through it. I want to start out though, if you don't mind, doing some just general teaching of John and kind of where this series is going and why um, we're going to walk through seven stories and it might be a new way of looking at the scriptures, a new theology. Now, when you say, oh, here Richie is with a new theology, 
It doesn't mean it's the theology, right? When you think of God, who his glory fills the whole universe, there's lots of theologies. Because God is pretty gigantic, pretty difficult to figure out, which is the beauty of it, is our whole life is spent going after God and seeing God. So I want to show you the context of where we're at. Adam last week um, spoke to us about uh, the wedding, where the wine runs out, wine represents grace, and when the wine runs out, Jesus makes more wine, more grace, and it's even better grace. So when you think of what John's up here to, on one hand, he's being critical of where things have gone, but he's also honoring it. Like, what we understand of God up to this point and up to this day, it's been a gift. It's been grace. It doesn't have to be bad or good. But then there's this new thing that Jesus is up to, right? This new way where he's leading us, which is grace upon grace. It's a gift upon gift. In fact, in John, if you go back to the, if you start reading the chapter, he even says that, right? The word became flesh, dwells among us in his grace upon grace. So I want to introduce you to a thing called new creation theology. And that John really um, the gospel writers have an agenda, and that I believe the agenda of John is to say there is a new creation. There is a creation or a way of doing things popping up right in the middle of the current creation. Current creation, good, wonderful, we value it, it's beautiful, but there's this new creation. Here's some things that would contextualize what's going on. First is, John begins with the words, in the beginning. Does anybody know what other book of the Bible begins with in the beginning? Yes, Genesis, the creation story, right? In the beginning. If you were a good religious Hebrew person, your, 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 your brain would just be firing. You'd be like, ooh. The other thing is, is we see seven signs or seven miracles in John's book. Does anybody else know what other story has seven in it? Seven days of creation. Huh? Right? Now, the, I will say there is an eighth miracle in John, and that's that there is a resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the interesting thing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is we mention often that it happens on the first day of the week. The week, the seven-day week, is designed to help us remember the creation story of Working and building and progressing and moving forward and then spending Sundays Sabbathing, being, enjoying, right? And so the resurrection happens on the first day. It's like the eighth day again is a new creation. The other thing that is unique in this scripture is you see Jesus breathing upon his disciples and basically saying like, hey, my spirit's going to be with, it, with you, right? Again, Genesis, God creates dirt breathes into it, and there's life. There's this new creation that's going on. Some other things I didn't put up here. When Jesus is resurrected, where is he resurrected? Do you guys know? They talk about the setting. It's a garden. Where is the garden? In the creation story, the beginning and stuff. So this whole new creation theology is that John writes with this idea to help us. There's something new going on. There's a challenge. There's something within the thing being born, being breathed, um, and happening. So I want to get to today's sign that we talk about, or today's story. Whoops, I went the wrong way. There we go. We're going to be looking at John 4, and we're going to start with verse 43. 
and um, go through 52. So let's start with the first part of this story, and then we'll get into it. It says, after two days, he, meaning Jesus, left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Continue on, please. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Next slide. Oh, uh, we're going. There we go. This is the slide I want. I will tell you a little story from my childhood, all right? My dad, um, his best friend from high school who we would go visit, lived just outside of the little town in South Dakota called White River. Now, his name was Dan Height. Do you see this right here? You recognize that from the PBR? This was Dan's business, raising those, those big bulls, all right? Um, and he took them to rodeos all over South Dakota. Actually, um, up to a few years ago, you could see Dan's brand. If you'd go to the PBR, you would every once in a while see it on some of the bulls. So he raised some of the meanest, rowdiest, craziest bulls. He made hundreds of thousands of dollars one year. I should say thousands. I don't know the exact amount. Because he would bet every rodeo he had a bull that would jump the fence. And he would bet every rodeo that that bull would jump the fence and get out from them. And, and, and then um, some of the rodeos would put, you know, money on the line, and it was kind of like this thing to watch for. One rodeo actually redid their whole rodeo grounds trying to um, keep the bull in. So he had these bulls. Now, the other thing is, is Dan had pets, like this nice little kitty cat over here. All right, so that's his pet. That's my brother. That's me looking for the closest place to run if this goes wrong, all right? On the right. And so he had this pet. I want to let you know, this little kitty cat had played with me a couple times, uh, meaning I got scared and ran, wasn't fast enough. Kitty cat caught me and put me down on the ground, all right? Now, it was nice. It didn't scratch me or eat me. So that, that was a win kind of thing. But I was always nervous of this cat. And one time I was out with Dan and I was out with my dad. And uh, we were checking out some of the bulls and just doing things and working around. And I wasn't really paying attention. I crawled up on a fence, and I was sitting on a fence, and I wasn't really paying attention. And pretty soon I noticed that Dan was gone, and I noticed that my dad was gone. So I thought, oh, I'll just walk up over to, like, the house, you know? But I was sitting on the fence, and I noticed one thing. On one side of the fence was this guy. On the other side of the fence was this guy. And I froze. Have you ever been caught in the middle? You know what I mean? Have you ever just been caught in the middle where you don't know which direction you want to go and you're like, ah, none of this really looks good for me? Um, I believe we as a people right now know the tension of caught in the middle, right? I mean, you can't, you can't get into a family discussion these days without getting caught in the middle, right? Like, man, there's, there's landmines wherever I stand on this. Um, I think Jesus was the master of somebody who was constantly caught in the middle. 
right? He was stepping into situations and all kinds of people had all kinds of expectations on him and had all kinds of ideas of what he was supposed to be supporting and what he was supposed to be doing. So we'll go on to the next slide here. Check this out. To give you a little context to, context, to understand the tension of this story that we are looking at today, which seems pretty nebulous, right? Like, what's the big deal? Jesus came back to Cana, Canaan. Um, there was this guy who came over. He wanted his son healed. Nah, no big deal. Uh, leading up to this story, Jesus has been all over this area. I'm not going to go play by play here. But we've seen the story where he's turned water into wine at Canaan. Jesus has actually been down to Jerusalem where he got a little rowdy, tipped over some tables, and kind of threw a fit at the temple, right? Jesus has been out in Judea, which is the wilderness, where he's, um, he, his disciples have been baptizing people, and John's disciples really weren't sure quite about this. Jesus has been to Samaria, which is like this place where... Uh, it's kind of this weird place where, um, for lack of better words, it's like a half-breed group of people. We're not really sure about them. Well, there, he has this interaction with this lady who seems to have lots of male friends when she isn't supposed to be having all those male friends. Um, and he, you know, embraces her, brings her in, and ends up staying there a couple days and lots of people. And he makes his way back up to Canaan. So, in essence, Jesus is starting to become known. His teachings are starting to become known, and people are starting to hear about him. But Jesus lives in a real time frame with real people, with real religious, political, social issues going on. And um, so there's a ton more people, but here are the three big categories or three big followings of people that Jesus, um, Jesus' day he would have been interacting with. Do I need to go down instead of forward? Oh, that doesn't make sense to me, but that's good to know. Okay, well, grace and peace to the maker of this. Um, so there were three major, major groups, all right? Well, there's going to be four, but we're going to start with three. Jesus was a religious Jewish person. And most of the scriptures and most of the people Jesus deals with, there's some that aren't, are religious Jewish people, which is why you see him getting in so many fights with the Pharisees, is because Jesus himself probably was closest to the Pharisees, right? It's like if, if, it's like if um, we would start doing something here and you'd be like, historically, you'd look back at the history and be like, why did Dave have so many conflicts with invitation? Because he is in invitation. Does that make sense? He's one of them. He's part of them. That's who the people are. That's what's going on. That's where the debates are. But anyways, let's start with the Sadducees. The Sadducees, we see Jesus interacting with them really at the temple. The Sadducees were these people that um, didn't believe in the prophets and they didn't believe in what was called the oral tradition. So they were God-fearing Jewish people, believed this temple was the center of the action. And um, so that's where they also believed like you need to pay your temple tithes and things like that. And all that needs to go to the temple. The temple will take care of the people. Um, the temple kind of has the expertise and the things to take care of things. Um, and so that was the Sadducees. And they were mainly located around Jerusalem. They were probably honestly more educated, more aristocratic in who they were. But that was one group. It's so funny because this has nothing to do with today's society. That was one group that was part of the group Jesus was a part of, right? A part of the Jewish tradition. 
there was another group called the Essenes. Um, the Essenes were this group that said, look, we just need to disappear in the desert until Jesus comes back and do our best to live this really simple, um, probably a little bit rule-based life of this is what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back, so we need to disappear, we need to commit ourselves to that, we need to get away from all the influences, all the things that are going on, and we need to go out into the desert and stay away, um, because, and again, part of the the over-umbrella, like if Jesus was a Christian, this would have been part of the Christian umbrella. We just need to go off and do that. Jesus probably would have had a lot of interaction with them when he was in Judea, in the wilderness. All right, so you have this group. And then you have the Pharisees. I would guess, so the Pharisees were, um, were basically, they came about because they were the commoners, the blue-collar people. They were the common, everyday people and were trying to bring the Jewish faith kind of out into the common life. That's why they had an oral tradition. And then, of course, within this oral tradition, because like any good human endeavor, we can split into subgroups within our subgroup, right? So the Pharisees actually had um, two popular rabbis, so you'll often hear Jesus answering questions. Um, and those questions come from one of the two rabbis. So the Pharisees, they were, Jesus spars with them the most because he was naturally around them. He knew who they were. Um, he knew that, that idea or that sect of Judaism better than any other. Better. So if, you, if this was today, you could maybe say um, the Sadducees were the progressives, the Pharisees were the conservatives, and the Essenes were the Amish. I don't know, something like that, right? So if you could imagine that day, now it's a little bit too easy of a translation, so don't go back and be like, hey, th these people were right, wrong, because that's not the whole point. But the, the reality of it is each of these felt that when God showed up or the Messiah showed up or the Christ showed up, the Messiah would surely affirm that they were right. They were right. They were the ones. It would affirm them that this is the group. This is the way to do it. This is the way God wanted it. So if you think about Jesus, he's caught. He's caught within these three. But there's a fourth group, all right? Here's the fourth group. Rome. The reality of it is the Jewish faith, or Jerusalem, Israel, whatever you would want to call it, only could do whatever Rome would allow them. Rome basically said, you guys have your funny little religious debates within your little religious group there about God and stuff like that. But the Romans had a belief too. They're, they operated under the belief that Caesar, the leader of Rome, was actually God, right? Like was actually a figure of God. And they believed in what was called Pax Romano. All right? Pax Romano was peace through Rome. In other words, the world would be at peace and have everything figured out if you acted like and listened to Rome, to the Roman way, to the Roman thing. And so Jesus is caught in the middle of this. And the story sets us up to have Jesus back at Canaan where he's with his Pharisee blue-collar friends. But we've seen... 
Sadducees with him. We've seen all kinds of people with him. And he's got this whole crowd that's now following him. And this Roman dude shows up. Now, I will say this. Here's something you have to understand. These three up here, kind of the same team. These three up here might bicker a little bit. But when this dude shows up, this dude is truly out. This dude truly doesn't belong. He, God truly is not on his side. He is completely out of the faith. He is completely out of what God is doing. And so this Roman father, nobleman, politician shows up, and now it brings the drama, right? Because Jesus is caught between the bull and the mountain lion. He's caught between the religious people and the Roman person. He's caught between the different types of religious people. And all of them assuming that if he is who he says he is, if he is the son of God, the interesting thing is all of them think he will do what they expect him to do. And sometimes I wonder if we're guilty of that, right? I sometimes wonder if we follow a Jesus who does what we expect Jesus to do. I sometimes wonder if we follow a Jesus who just reaffirms the choices we've made, the way we approach life, our perspective on life. And I got to tell you, as much as when we say grace and peace with Jesus, Jesus is a person of paradox. And I want to let you know, when Jesus shows up, there's also great disruption. And that's a wonderful thing. Because if we had it figured out, why would we look for a savior? Because if we had it figured out, if we could nail this life, if we could get everything correct, what use would God in flesh and blood be to us? We'd be like, no, no, no. I, I, me and God, we already got it. Me and whatever the higher power is, I'm good. I'm there. And so the thing I love about Jesus is he shows up and he always creates the, oh, no, you didn't moment. In the middle of the fact that there is grace and peace. You see, I think Jesus has, the interesting thing is, is I wonder how often anybody had this diversity gathered around them. I wonder how often a Pharisee that was a rabbi had Sadducees, Essenes, and Roman rulers listening to them. Not to mention women Samarians tax collectors, prostitutes, right? And it goes on and on and on. So on one hand, there seems to be this affirmation that people are loved and cared for, grace and peace. And yet, if you, if you read the Bible, and if you read the New Testament, Jesus seems to irritate them all in a good way. He seems to disrupt them all. Now, in this day and age, if you embrace somebody, you think of this day and age like for the Pharisees, just letting somebody eat lunch with you or supper with you was embracing who they were. Or, um, and so in order for God to work in your life, in order for God to do something, you had to be on their team because God wouldn't work in the lives of people outside of the team because God was all about getting you to the team to become a good Jewish person. 
And so here, the one thing we would be united on, again, this guy needs to know his spot. Rome, horrible. They're oppressive to us. They think that they're God. They're not even close to the realm. They're pagans. There's this or that. Um, and this guy comes begging Jesus, which is interesting in itself, right? But I will say this. Out of all these people who have it figured out, in this particular story, in this particular moment, only one has the guts to admit they don't have it figured out. And that happens to be the most hated character in the whole story. The most dangerous of them all, the Roman soldier. I want you to understand the predicament he is in. Yes, he's a Roman nobleman, but really he's in the predicament on the left. His son's dying. Isn't it interesting that once humanity hits us, I mean, I, I got I to gotta say, and, and thank you, thank you, Invitation Church, for how you've um, helped uh, our students' families. But I, I got to say, on the day our student had a cardiac arrest, I, I wasn't wondering if he was a Republican or a Democrat. I wasn't wondering if he was Christian. I, I wasn't, you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't wondering where he stood on the resurrection. <laughs> I wasn't wondering whether he was a Calvinist, free will, or whatever. It's, it's just like when real life happens, when we're really sick, when we're really hurting, when we're really in a bad spot, and when we're really desperate, all that kind of goes away. Because remember for this Roman person, the Jews were despicable too. And Jesus, who was trying to be the leader of them, was like the them for the Roman people. Those people. They. They are keeping Rome from all of its glory. They are. But the difference is, is in this story, as much as he's a Roman nobleman, he's really a, just a human. And he's in a hard spot. He's in a wreck. So in this story, I believe there's all kinds of dy dynamics going on. Um, and Jesus is in a lot of pressure. And the, the good reader right away would be starting to say, Ooh, oh, Jesus is going to stick it to the Roman people. Which one is he going to pick? The Essenes, the Sadducees, or the whatever. And sometimes we can get so into those debates... And we can get so into that line of thinking that we forget that in the story, not pictured, back home is a sick little boy. There's only one desperate character in the story. There's only one desperate character. There's only one person who happens to be at a phase of life because life is happening to him that, that's just like, I'm vulnerable. I'm ready for help. I'm ready for something. I need something, and I'm willing to give you the chance. You see, I don't think that Roman nobleman showed up saying, God, I heard sure hope today Jesus confirms Pax Romano. 
He's the only one not in that battle. And so what does Jesus do? He says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. So think about this. Pax Romano coming and saying, I need something different. I need you. I need you to come because the what I'm using and the way I'm in, approaching life right now, it's not working for this. I need your help desperately. That's where the Roman soldier is. And here's, the, here's just what I'm going to say. Um, I think it's good to have some theology, your belief in God. I think it's good to have some philosophy, your belief in how life works. Um, I think it's good to have your general bent of how life should work. Uh, but the reality of it is, is when real life events happen, probably won't matter. The example I always heard is, um, I remember back in the day, they, they used to ask, like, the day of, a, of accountability, which was, a, which was like this question of, when will people start going to hell? Right? When, when will be, and you know what? That's a pretty good discussion, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of uninterested in it. But, you know, it's a pretty good discussion, and um, it makes a lot of sense, and you can get passionate about it, and we can decide that the age accountability is 13. Um, but when our 12-year-old son commits suicide, I guarantee you your theology is going to change. I'm going I'm to guarantee you that the God that you want to come face-to-face -face with is much different than the God who's just going to affirm some sort of theology or some way of life. So here's what happens. The desperate person is the one that comes to Jesus. The desperate person is the one that comes. And it says, while he was still on his way, the servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, they, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Here's what I want us to learn from this sign. Next slide, please. Um, in this story, as much as people want Jesus to take a side and tell everybody who's right, I believe that um, the main part here is that Jesus has this miraculous way of healing things. And this healing ends up transcending political groups, social groups, religious groups, economic classes. It transcends countries because this guy's from Capernaum. He's not even in the general, ge he's in the general geographical area, but not the area that's by them. Race, identity, and geography. And so what I want to challenge us with the church is no matter who you are today, the way of Jesus and what Jesus wants to do in your life transcends, and it includes you. And I want to let us all know that today, no matter how right we are and no matter how indignant we are about our beliefs, the healing power of J Jesus transcends and includes them, whoever the them is in your life. Next slide, please. Here's the deal. I believe Jesus challenges everybody. 
I believe that Jesus gives everybody an oh no you didn't moment. So if we sit in these seats today only thinking Jesus challenges the people who are on the other people who believe differently than us, I just think that's wrong because when you watch the gospel, Jesus challenges everybody and also Jesus includes everybody. He both includes and challenges everybody and we see that over and over and over from him because if... If there is a savior, that means we need saved from something. Next slide. Nobody. Jesus' healing power, his healing miraculous way, excludes nobody. Because when you're reading this story, the one person, the person Jesus should be least interested in is the Roman nobleman. But Jesus, that's the person that Jesus provides healing for. And the interesting thing is, is it transcends even that moment and that geographical place. Nobody is left out of Jesus' healing ways. Nobody. And then finally, I want to leave us with some questions. When we read a story like this and when we see the new creation, here's my first question. Who are we most like in this story? And when I say we, the church, the body of Christ, are we most like Jesus? Grace and peace to all, challenging everybody, letting our healing message of love and grace and salvation, leaving nobody out? Or are we a Pharisee? Or are we a Sadducee? Are we in a scene just escaping? Or are we a Roman nobleman that thinks that there's some other way? Who are we? And who should we be? My other question for you is who are the they or the them in our life? Right? The Pharisees, the them, were the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Romans. Who are the they and the them in our lives? And I want to, when you identify those people and when you get those in your mind, I want you to remember what Jesus does with they and them. He includes them, He invites them, and His healing message is for them. Who am I personally in this story? Um, there's two ways I think this could go. I think we could be any one of the social groups. Or um, we could be the sick child that just is desperate for Jesus' way. And I'll say that I hope if we're anybody, we're probably all of these at any given time, I hope we can have a bent or we can change our lives and our approach to Jesus to be someone who's desperate to learn and see Jesus do something in our lives because that seems to be where Jesus has power and impact, not quite as much on the people who have it figured out. And then my last question is, am I desperate enough to follow the way of Jesus? If the answer is yes, good. If you don't have it together today, good. 
If you don't feel like you're in, good. Jesus, that, you're exactly the person Jesus is speaking to today. If you feel like they and them have, don't feel like you belong, you're probably exactly the person Jesus is speaking to today. Um, we live right now in a world that's about taking sides and making sure we know who belongs, who's in, who's right, and who's wrong. And I believe we serve a Jesus that shows up and says grace and peace to all. And challenge is probably the way we look at the world, no matter who we are. And for those who are most desperate, most vulnerable, and most hurting, brings healing. So may you receive this. Please stand with me today. And I just ask that you put your hands out like this in reception. So may you receive this as the gospel, as the good news today. Um, may you know that when Jesus shows up, he includes you in ways that you could never imagine. May you know that when Jesus shows up, he may also challenge you in ways that you can never imagine. And may you know that if you are the very person that you don't think Jesus includes, cares, or loves for, you're the exact person that he's going to heal today. And may we all be desperate enough to let him change our lives. Go in grace and peace.